Welcome into another edition of Bleeding Claret and Cobalt. We appreciate you tuning in today. Excited to welcome longtime club luminary Luke Mulholland to the show. Luke played for the club for seven seasons, won a championship with Real Monarchs, scored a bunch of goals for RSL, had even more signature moments that we get into a little bit uh, with his goal celebrations and maybe a few, I don't know, bloopers, whatever you want to call them. But excited to sit down with Luke. He's now a scout for the club, working with uh, newly hired technical director Kurt Schmidt, uh, following uh, Tony Beltran into the front office, working with Elliot Fall and Rob Zarkos as well. And Ryan, why don't I bring you in here? Tell me your favorite Luke Mulholland memory. Um, there's a lot of them. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, it was being around him a lot during the, the Monarchs run. Okay. Was, it was interesting. You know, you could tell, like, I think we get into this a little bit, but the, you know, when you're playing on the, you know, you know, an MLS team, yeah. USL team is not necessarily your destination, but to see someone who can take that and have a good attitude about it and be a leader. I yeah. mean, obviously he was a leader and yeah. that was a big part of that team, you know, being so successful. Like that was you know, when Luke was doing well, that team was doing great. You know, so that's that's kind of those things. But the one thing I remember the most is back in the in the glory days of Luke Mulholland at the at the riot. You count on Luke taking that one forty yard shot in the game. <laughs> that's right. Every single game. Yeah. And I remember there was a string when I was I think it was a string in the summer where it was just one of those, you know, Saturday, weekday, Saturday games. Okay. And I'd went to all three of them. They were all three home. I'm trying to remember this might have been twenty sixteen, I think, in that era. Mm-hmm. Um and you know, you see the first one, Luke takes the shot. Like the first one, the first game takes a shot from, you know, like 35. It's it's yeah. it's deep into the, you know, into right. the outfield there. And uh, Luke takes a shot and it flies up into the stands. And the next game, you're like, you see it happening. You kind of see it happening again. And he hits it again. It's maybe a little bit closer. Maybe it's a little bit of a shot. It goes into the stands. And then the third game, the next, that same. So I think it's three games in a week. Okay. And the third one, he, he's you kind of feel it like in the stadium is the ball kind of does that thing when it rolls out past the 18, (laughs) you know, past the the group of people that are, you know, the defend everybody's that there's that open space that a midfielder gets when they have that open shot, which is why. And he hits it coming down. He, he connects with it on his laces and you could tell it was curving from the side. Okay. And it, I can't remember, just beats the keeper. I mean, it was like, that was it. The game, the, the three days, we or the three games in a row, we'd watch this, this shot <laughs> evolve until he finally. You're like, finally, it's and, in. And uh, that was one of the ones where he like, I think it may have been the one where he slipped, where he's on his knees and then he, his knees catch and he went face first into the grass. I think that might've been the celebration. I think that was the same goal. But anyway, awesome. yeah. But watching him, man, there's nobody. Um, I think we may bring, you may bring this up with him, but it's like, how do you become a fan favorite at RSL? Yeah. You work hard and you play hard and yeah. you just give it all. And Luke is the embodiment of that. Luke definitely did all that. He, we do talk about that work ethic, his connection to the community, how he connected with the fan base and why RSL is relevant here. We do also talk a little bit about as his career is winding down, buying a house, building a house, getting married, having a baby, dealing with uh you know, 2020 COVID and uh, his evolution uh, as a player. Because as he reminded me, you know, when he came to RSL, he was pretty much a lockdown starter there next to Kyle. And then through some coaching changes and other things, 
you know, Demir comes in, Everton comes in. So that's some high-priced guys at his position. But um, it was a great opportunity to kind of sit down with Luke, get his perspective on things, and and to hear his thoughts on academy development. The Monarchs is, you know, more or less a U23 team. And uh, looking ahead to kind of building a, a new era for the club from his position and collaborating with the coaching staff, the front office, et cetera, et cetera. Um, really excited to see how Luke kind of grows into this role uh, off the field for the club. So I think it's a great uh, a great pattern to see. And, you know, Luke following in the footsteps of um, Andy Williams, Hamas and Olave, Tony Beltran, other guys that, uh, that, that kind of step off off the Rio Tinto pitch and, and into the club in other roles. So up next, after the break, we'll sit down with Luke Mulholland. Bleeding, Clara and Cobalt, happy to welcome in the man, the myth, the legend, Luke Mulholland. Luke, thanks for hanging out with us today. Of course, Trey. Good morning. Morning. Um, I wanted to get you in here, and I'm really excited that, that despite the end of your playing career, you're remaining with uh, our beloved club, Real Salt Lake. And, you know, I've been out of town for most of the last couple, two and a half years, I guess, so I got back and... I was really happy to see you out in Harriman uh, late last fall, and obviously since then you've made the decision to retire but remain in the front office working with Elliot and Tony and Rob, and uh, now Kurt Schmidt has been hired, but uh, your title is Club Scout, and I guess what I'm curious about is um, how long have you been thinking about that transition, and were there other roles you considered? Because in my time around the club or around the sport, you know, some guys go into coaching, other guys go into broadcasting. So there's always options, but I think it's uh it's fantastic that that you're able to remain RSL through and through. But I just uh, want to want to tap in and let the listeners hear a little bit about your your process to get to this point. Yeah, I mean, I think now that you just mentioned the timeline, things yeah. went downhill for me as soon as you <laughs> left. <laughs> yeah, you were uh, you were dealing with some back issues. I think you had to get a nerve snipped back uh, yeah. fall of eighteen. So summer was, of eighteen. Actually, just at the the start of the twenty eighteen season. Okay. Um, literally, second day of preseason, and this is once we was out in Harriman, yeah. the, the new facility, on the turf. You know, I'd I'd been here for the majority of the off season, and I'd put in a bunch of miles and yeah. running around the new the new turf, and I don't know what it was, but on the second day, um, something in my back just just collapsed on me, mm-hmm. and yeah, I just started with a. I bulged a couple of bulls days to okay. turn into um and then eventually tore tore both of them and then got an injection just to try and, you know, alleviate the, the pain and the injection did the opposite and oh, pushed wow. pushed the tore the torn disc that we weren't aware of onto my nerve canal and shut down my oh. shut down my right leg. So yeah, we You probably need that right leg to Yeah, I had I had a thing called drop foot. Um we we tried to you know, do everything we could without going down the surgery path, but there was just no improvement after, you know, a month of, of trying. So uh, we had to do the surgery, and the doctors told me it could be one to four months. It would turn out to be four months by the time that I returned um, playing. But I think with the back, it's just a, with all those nerves back there. Yeah. You know, I just 
I was always just a ticking time bomb before every time my, my back kind of just locks up on me. And wow. when, when that's the case, I'm shut down for two weeks and then I'm like good to go again. And it's just, yeah. and if it's not the back, if the back's t tight, the, that affects my, my hamstring. And sure. it was just a, it was just a yo-yo battle of um, my hamstring on my back just just collapsing on me. Right. So that was, yeah, that was the start of the end. Um, <laughs> and the annoying thing for me was I think prior to that, I'd never missed like a professional game right. through to injury. So I'd always been, you know, fortunate with my, my health, but also kind of proud that I just played through the, played through the, the kicks and the knocks. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that was tough for me to, to basically go from starting on the team for four years um, right. and then basically being on the sidelines for the majority of 2018, you know, I was able to, to come back and, play a little part towards the end of 2018 and you know then I was hoping to hit that reset button for for the next season yeah. but um in a way the you know that w window of opportunity kind of closed for me so yeah. back to your earlier question when did I start thinking about transitioning into the front office and why I went down that path it was back in um I want to say late 2016 when I became aware of our partnership with Southern New Hampshire University yeah, sure. in the league. Um, basically, just the they offered a opportunity for us to further our education at a you know at a partnership price. You know, yeah. so I was interested in doing that. Um, consider myself a businessman, yeah. and I'd, I I kind of got to a stage where I, I was burnt out with the the coaching side of things. Mm -hmm. You know, when I first came to Utah, you know, I was full of full of energy and I was, you know, wanted to get to know, you know, everyone within the club, but then also the community sure. and whatnot. So I did a lot of coaching for the first maybe two or three years here. And then after a while, I was kind of like, okay, how can I, what do I want to do after yeah. I'm done playing soccer? And I was like, I don't think I want to necessarily do the coaching side of things just because I f feel like I'd burnt myself out. And so... Were you were you at least I think maybe excited a little bit because the club grew quite a bit, you know, oh, in yeah. your time here. So that just presented more and more opportunities, coaching and other. Yeah. Right. Yeah, definitely. When I first came to the club in 2014, we all we had was the the first team, and right. yeah, we had a the MLS had the reserve league, but it was a bit it was a bit up and down. So yeah, seeing the seeing how the organization grew with the with the monarchs and the academy and obviously the royals for for two or three years um yeah definitely encouraged me knowing that you know internal growth was was a thing at this club and as long as you you know treat everyone around you right i felt like you know you got you got rewarded at, at the club for the most part so that's what i focused on was doing what i could control which was you know going above and beyond with my master's degree and just chipping away chipping away at that and what was your master's in so I just a master's in, in business, business, yeah, business administration with a emphasis on sports management. So okay. the sports management was just an additional three classes, and yeah. it doesn't pop up on your on your degree certificate. <laughs> so you know it doesn't really matter too much. But you know I wasn't just doing it for a piece of paper. I wanted to try and learn the ins and outs of you know the, the organization. You know what it would be like to you know in be, be in a position of power, and that was kind of my my whole presentation and you know my research paper was on RSL as well okay. and you know how um, 
just like what all the departments that mm-hmm. that consist within and then you know when i kind of got to meet different people in different departments then that kind of was clear to me that okay i don't want to be i don't want to be too far away from the soccer operations yeah, sure. you know i'm i'd be okay doing a you know like a blend or a split role where it's soccer operations but also partnership or whatever but for right now um with me just retiring i want to be as close as i can to the of course to the to the team when did you realize um that maybe you were falling in love or just so well connected in this community that this is where uh, you and your wife and your growing family wanted to be uh, after your playing career did you think about going anywhere else or did you guys know you wanted to be here i mean i'd say at the end of 2018 was for me quite a scary off season just because sure. you know, like i said it was the first injury i was in a way felt like i was kind of kept in the dark not knowing you know what the club's intentions was whether they would keep me around and whatnot and and obviously now i'm on the other side of it i i understand understand the business side of things i just think that transparency and like honesty is is, is the best policy Critical, moving yeah, forward because the the stress that it caused me that off season because you obviously you know you get paid a salary annual but then you get cut off at the end of the year so i had to make sure that okay i've got to make sure i've got x amount of money you know saved up to support my family for however many months if i if i'm not going to be on the team anymore and if i need to go and try out for another team because when you're coming off an injury teams aren't on um so you know they're not in such a hurry to give you a contract straight away like okay come into pre-season and prove that you you know you recover from your back and you know so it could be to the end of pre-season where I know if I've got a, a new deal or not. Yeah. And so, but then sure enough, I end up, you know, re-signing with, with RSL at the start of 2019. But there was there was a bit of a moment where I was in the dark and I didn't know if I'd have to, you know, roll the dice and try and relocate. Because at this point I hadn't finished my master's, uh, my master's degree. So in my head where I was like, okay, I've not, I've not got that in my back pocket yet. And nor am I mentally ready to to retire you know i've only just right experienced one my first injury and you know i'd ended up getting back into the starting lineup and played in the playoffs so i'm like surely surely i deserve to be sure. here or somewhere you know i still have a lot more to give um and then obviously 2019 um was another another tough season for me just because i thought i'd overcome the back injury i thought i'd won my starting spot back on the team but naturally each year the the club and the team you always got to look to strengthen sure and in a way i feel like the they kind of moved on for me or just you know the constant growing salary of the the league and and the club you know you and the position that i'm in i was surrounded by you know either a club legend or right. you know tam players <laughs> yeah, designated sure. players and it's like I'm like it's very, it was an uphill it was an uphill battle and I just felt like I didn't really get a fair opportunity to win my mm-hmm. position back but mm-hmm. um but obviously they stuck by me. I was able to contribute with the monarchs and help. Well, I was gonna say, I mean you really it appears from the outside, you really took advantage of the opportunity with the monarchs, right? To to be a mentor, be a leader and 
ultimately win a championship. Yeah, yeah, and pretty much got to the, you know, like the halfway point of the the 2019 season, and you know, I, I hadn't been used by the the head coach, so I just asked him. I said, "Listen, if I'm not gonna, you're not gonna use me for the first team, then at least let me go down to the second yeah. team and you know, and get 90 minutes on my belt every two or three weeks." So it started off like that, and then you know, as the season progressed and you know, and they still weren't using me for the first team. Then I started playing more regularly for the Monarchs, and you know that was a bittersweet moment, knowing that kind of my my window for the first sure. team had like you know closed. But as you mentioned, it was a I was the old head on the on the Monarchs team, and you know I was able to. Well, it's funny because I remember when we first had the Monarchs, and you know we can get into philosophically if if the monarchs or even the academy teams are meant to win or develop and i know there's people that always want them to do both and that's probably the most difficult ask <laughs> but yep. I, you know there was a time where some of the young up and coming guys if they were asked to go play 90 minutes with the monarchs they they just had the completely wrong attitude about it but yeah um you seem to have really embraced that opportunity yeah and the definitely there definitely was times um, you know, players on on the first team that would get you know loaned down to the Monarchs, whether it's just for one game yeah. or whatever. It, it was kind of viewed as like a slap in the face by certain players, or just just because your expectations is right. first team, right? So the, there was times where you know in previous years where I wasn't happy about having to you know get a Monarchs right. game with them about whether it's because I was you know suspended or right or whatever because prior to 2018 i hadn't missed any games for injury so the only reason why i would have been down there is just if i got yeah. a red yellow card. accumulation yeah. or red, so yeah. there's that part of it but yeah that's and th that's the way to do it is just focus on the the bright side of it and it's yeah. like okay yeah. you can go down there somewhat competitive level still get 90 minutes on your belt if you you know win the game you've shown that you've you know contributed yeah. goals assists is always a bonus right and then you know that the coaching stuff is going to be watching as well so you know. was there a point in that in that run and i guess you know i don't really recall it very well but that second half of 2019 where you know did you did you feel like all along the monarchs had everything it needed to to win that title yeah yeah i knew that we were i knew that we would go you know quite far yeah definitely um I knew that our season was going to last longer than the first team season. You know, as much as I would want them to sure. to go all the way, I just what I was just seeing at the first team level and what I was seeing at second team, I was just like, like second team's got a good thing going. Obviously, there wasn't just myself that was coming down from the first team. As right. as as we got towards the tail end of the the monarch season, you know, more and more guys were starting to show up just because either they started to see the the momentum that was building mm -hmm. and maybe they followed, followed my lead and went and spoke to the coaches and was like, hey, I'd rather, rather than, you know, not being in the squad and doing nothing on the weekends, I'd rather go down. Yeah. You know, so we had a, probably had a good amount of, you know, players that were coming down um, from the first team, but also got to give credit to the the Monarchs, the, the, the players that were on the Monarch teams, Monarch contracts. Uh, there was some experienced players as well yeah and i think that's the reason why we had that success is because um our starting 11 team was you know it would have given the first team a good run for the money right as well and i think now that we have won that championship 
now that's kind of we tick that box for the monarchs right and now it's a okay now it's a little more development youth development yeah. you know how many how many of our rsl like alumni academy kids can we get into the monarchs and you know just give them a platform to you know just to just to grow because they're not the majority of our academy kids aren't going to be ready at 17 18 to jump into the first team yeah, exactly. and then also it's like okay you can give them a monarchs deal but because you have that you know, you, you have the set Monarch roster plus, you know, half a dozen first-team guys that are coming down. How many opportunities are they getting before, like, towards the, the end of the season where, like, playoffs are out of reach? Okay, yeah. let's just play our young guys. So right, right. The, we're still trying to, you know, figure that out. But I think because we have, you know, won a, won a championship and um, tick that box, now it's, a, now it's okay. We've been there, done that. Now right. let's really, you know, focus on on growing our our own players and i think that's what you'll see over the next couple of years how would you describe homison as a as a head coach because I, I think a lot of people here myself included still you know we think of him as as obviously a great player for the club and he's been um a coach either assistant or now head coach for the monarchs for quite a bit but i i think the psyche of the fan base is still to think of him as a player and not as a coach so obviously he's a guy that's been around him uh, for, in a few different ways, how would you kind of describe his style and his growth in that in that role? Yeah, he's it's funny. His his style is still um, very similar to how he was as a player, and I think that's why you know when you think of him, you still think of him, you know, just just <laughs> defending uh, strikers and shoving him off the ball and whatnot. Because he still has that, you know, still has that ability. He still going into the facility and working out at like 5.30 in the morning. So, you know, it's impressive when someone who's been removed from the game for X amount of years still has that, you know, that physical uh, dominance and presence around you. And I think that's what he's, why he's been successful is because all these, uh, I say kids, all these kids that are coming through um, on the Monarchs, you know, I think they all respect him. And then there's also some part of, uh, you know, intimidation as well that surrounds Olave. And he, he does, for me, he does a great job of firing the boys up for for, yeah. for game days. That's the biggest, yeah. that's the biggest um, uh, pro that I can, I can give to Olave is just that, you know, when it comes to, you know, right for the game, whether it's at halftime as well, he does a great job of just, you know, getting you locked in and, you know, just ready to go to battle. So as you're going through all this with your back, kind of, you know, maybe seeing some things that are signaling that the end of your career is on the horizon. Yep. You you buy a house in, in Sandy, you get married, and then you end up having a child as well. So how have all those things kind of <laughs> changed your perspective both uh, as a player and, again, making that decision to stay in Salt Lake? Yeah, I mean, technically, I, we built a house in 2017, so this was okay. prior to the prior to the back injury. But this was after I started my my master's degree. Okay, um, and I I think my mindset was just to make the most of the opportunity that I have here, and that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. Sure, sure. And I'd been obviously on. A couple of other teams, and they were at the the lower or well, the league below 
so they were stepping stone clubs for me so I, I think i knew deep down that i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna stay there like long term yeah even though you know tampa florida was an, a really nice place where I, in my head i was like well you know it's not the worst thing if i <laughs> not the worst thing if i stay in, in tampa yeah, you know sure. that's that's where my wife went to university and you know florida is is florida mm -hmm. but i don't know i just i didn't really know a lot about so like yeah when i first well, I'd came. never been here before i came here yeah and now so, i consider it home so yeah and anytime i have family visit friends visit like they just they're just so impressed with yeah. with salt lake how one one thing is they'll say how calm it is here yeah and you know i feel like i, I can be quite a calm person you know for the most part and then you know lively when yeah sure. when it's game day training whatever <laughs> so and I think that's why it suits me because, you know, I, I just like the lifestyle here. It's, I'm quite outdoorsy, same for, my, same for my wife. And, you know, got her dog when she first moved out here, you know, and it's just, I don't know, I feel like everything's just been, you know, worked out well for me despite the, you know, the, the injury, but that's that's part of the game yeah. that happens. Some, yeah, sure. Some people have injuries, you know, throughout the career. Um, I just got my all that all at once right towards the tail end and you know it's it's fine um i, I gave everything i got yeah, until sure. my back blew on so <laughs> you know I, there's no there's no regrets there uh but yeah i just a big fan of the the community as well everyone's always been so you know supportive and you know kind to me when i've bumped in I always bumped into i was gonna say you have a really strong connection with the fan base and that must have helped steer your decision to stay right yeah yeah i definitely felt like that like i was the man or one of the men for a long time <laughs> here and yeah. um, the way that the you know the way the fans that would um you know cheer my name at the games and just the relationship i had with them i think they knew what they were getting out of me on you know on a, on a standard game day yeah you know i'm never going to tell you that i was the the best the best player here ever there's been a lot of great players that have that have come and gone and you know and so many more that will come but you know similar to similar to Kyle you just I just was a hard worker you yeah. know I'd you know work work as hard as I could and you know some games I'd had really good games some games I'd be you know not not my best night but you know that's fine with me I I'd always just work hard and you know grip grip my teeth and go at it <laughs> but yeah my relationship with the fans is is great they they always treat me well and i try to you know do the same to them by every time i was on the field um give it my best shot what's special about the connection between the club the players and, and the fans uh that rsl has uh obviously i'd say just the fact that it's just a, such a small community mm -hmm. um soccer is still such a you know young young foreign sport in america but just seems to seems like utah and the salt lake community has just adopted the sport yeah you know and there's a there's all type of fans that come to the games people that have no idea what <laughs> they're talking about yeah. still learning you know it's all learned all new to them and then you know you, you bump into random fans who have been to you know to england and watch games there and you know they've got family members that play the sport or they played you know college and whatnot so there's some um level of understanding but that's not 
everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But also, I think just at the youth sport level, you know, soccer is so popular. Sure. You know, it's just a good, it's a good family, family sport, and I think that's what you kind of see at a typical Utah yeah. uh, RSL game is you can bring the entire family and everyone can have fun. And yeah. I think that's what is different back in England is, you know, it's you can only sit in certain sections based on, you know, how rowdy it gets. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas so I've never felt I've never felt like uh intimidated at any of the mm. MLS like stadiums that I go to because right. it's, it's a totally different ball game for me personally. But it's definitely headed in the right direction because I remember when we went to LAFC for that playoff game, you know, and I was when right before I started the game, like I was checking my pulse. I yeah, was like, yeah, yeah. I was like, this is this is getting close to, you know, me getting a little bit nervous before I start the game, and that's the stuff that I'll I'll miss is that those little bit of nerves, but just you know, ang- just being anxious to start the game. Yeah, and that's what I think I'll miss the most is just that that feeling, and then also the feeling of you know playing full ninety minutes, working so hard, working just for for that win. Yeah, and I, the feeling day the day after when you wake up like all sore and achy but knowing that you like <laughs> we won last night though so yeah you know, it's all worth it well and you know i one of the reasons i'm in love with this club is just how we're big fish in a small pond right we're yeah. relevant here and i think out of what there's now 27 mls teams now with austin coming in mm-hmm. and they're gonna have a big year right new stadium new team yeah, all that stuff but definitely. i don't know out of those 27 there's not too many that i think are as as relevant in their market as this club is. And then when you add, look at all the infrastructure that's been added, I think it's, I know the ownership situation is dragging on, but it's got to be a very attractive property for, you know, coming out of COVID and all that kind of stuff. We can get into that another time. Yeah. But um, so I guess, you know, I'm just kind of fascinated by, you see uh, in the early days, you know, Andy Williams makes the move from player to front office Thomason Alave, Tony Beltran. At what point did you start having maybe some conversations? I don't know, Elliot or Weibel or Tony or others in the club to say, "Hey, I, I want to, I want to do something." And I don't know what that is. Maybe I do know what that is, but I want to be part of this club when I'm done uh, on the pitch. Yeah, that that started around around the time that I, you know, started my my master's degree, mm. just because, you know, I. I I chose to use RSL, you know, the organization sure. as my like, thesis or whatever. So there's a lot of times where, you know, I'd be going into the stadium and sitting down with, you know, a certain person from a certain department, you know. I, I remember countless times I'd go and bug John Jenner and, yeah, you know, sure. try and pick his brain about the, the partnership side of things. And obviously this was all tailored to help me with my, you know, with my work, but also there was like a a de- desire of actually learning and retaining this information knowing that you know it's going to help me further down the road whether whether it is here at rsl or anywhere yeah. and so i've because i was able to like chip away at that for like three years i was constantly you know poking and probing uh all the guys upstairs you know weibel included and um rob zarkos and the way that I kind of disguised it was that I'd kind of told them that I need to like shadow them and, sure. and all that stuff. And it wasn't, it wasn't really required for me to, you know, you know do that like an internship yeah. or shadowing, but that was my way of kind of getting my foot in the door. That's a great opportunity. Yeah. yeah. So, 
that's that's how I went about it. There was, you know, certain things that, you know, I could have just done research on, you know, over the internet, but instead I, I chose to schedule these in-person meetings, you know, and try and try and learn like hands-on approach. And yep. then also then I said to them, like, listen, if you ever need, you know, any any help on the side with X, Y, or Z, like, I'm, I'm available and yeah. I'm, I'm ready to learn. And so, but then when things started materializing, I'd say it was towards probably like 2019 was when I was, you know, meeting with Rob Zarkos quite frequently and telling him, um, you know, I need to do this shadowing or internship mm -hmm. for part of my master's degree, which wasn't yeah. really the, re really true, yeah. right? But, you know, this is because I thought, okay, you know, 2019, they're probably not going to offer me another first in deal because I went, you know, the entire 2019 without playing for the, the guys. But winning that championship with the Monarchs was kind of like, um, in a way it was like, okay, I think they gave me a 2020 contract for the first team as a, you know, as a reward sure, for, sure. you know, helping out winning trophy, but also just the, the leadership role. And then, and then I think, I think I knew when I signed that 2020 deal, knowing yeah. that there was no talk of a, a option year or what it was just a one year deal yeah I, then i knew you knew yeah then i knew that okay if i can you know somehow get back into back into the into the first team then then i've done great but if not then at least these guys have stuck by me they've rewarded me with you know a one-year deal they knew that they was aware that um, my wife was expecting so i think they yeah you know they with everything, you know, my years of surface, everything into play, you know, obviously having Tony up there as well, he, he can kind of relate to me in regards to, you know, starting consistently, then getting an injury and not really being able to right. get back to your best. So I'm definitely grateful that they, you know, they stuck by me, but um, I don't know. I I think I knew the end was near at, towards the end of 2019. I was grateful to get the 2020. Yeah. Obviously, the world just kind of shut down in 2020. Yeah. And but even the start of preseason, you know, I'd had a conversation with with the coaching staff, and they told me that listen, your role is going to be what it was kind of in 2019 with the Monarchs. So there wasn't really an opportunity for me to okay. to win back my first team spot, which is what I was kind of kind of a little frustrated about because I knew that maybe I could have gone to another team and kept playing. And yeah. this is this is where I had a little tug of war with. And going back to your early question, like, why why RSL and why Utah? Yeah. And it's just because, because of the roots that I have here, knowing that, you know, it's, in the long run, it's probably not worth going to chase it as much as I love the sport and I'm obsessed about it. Mm -hmm. In the long run, thinking what's best for myself and my family you know, I can. I played here for seven years. There's, there's nothing stopping me for from being in the front office for another seven years right. or, or or more, right? And I feel like if I was to go to another MLS or USL team, you know, I could extend my playing career for another one to two years. Mm -hmm. But then, then where? Then you're I? back in that same spot. Yeah, and it's yeah. like okay, and a lot of times you gotta. You know, you got to back yourself and and know that like things are going to work out. Right. But I think when you start to take on the responsibility of now, I'm responsible for for my son and my, and just my family's you know well-being, and 
it's not easy on a family to constantly relocate, relocate. Sure. And that's that's another thing that played in. It's like I was one of the fortunate ones that once I got into the MLS, I was able to stay with that. Yeah, that you weren't club. bouncing around. Yeah. yeah. So all all these things played in, and as much as it was difficult to me to swallow the like the retirement pill. Yeah. It was. I think it was the risk versus reward, the grass not being necessarily green on the other side. I'm comfortable here. I know everyone upstairs. And I just think it's the best place for me to to learn at the start of my, my new career. So with 2020 being such a kind of stunted year, right? And yep. you, you started to realize in preseason and then COVID hits. I think everybody played maybe one game at that point. Mm-hmm. Then there's a gap. Then there's the Orlando bubble. And then there's still kind of those just a lot of uncertainty right and yeah. it was just a bizarre year you have a child in the middle of all that right mm-hmm. yep and you're kind of looking ahead so i guess kind of a two part question is i mean were you able to kind of have a different perspective through all that on on the future on like personally for you but also for the club and then i guess the the second part of the question is okay where where does rsl go from here where are the growth opportunities we've had rob in here and we've talked a lot about the growth and the infrastructure and the expansion of the of the club in terms of youth development, sports science, mm-hmm. uh, the medical situation, all those things that you know a, a world class club with world class facilities needs. And then uh, and then now you're you're in a role where you're trying to identify talent to bring in and bring up mm-hmm. throughout all that. So I guess let's start with just kind of with the crazy roller coaster year that was 2020 and the lens by which you're looking ahead for not only just you, but also for the club. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> 2020, it was a transitional year for me um, with everything going on. I think as as horrible as the, the pandemic was, you know, it was kind of, it was nice for me to spend a lot more time at home than I normally would have. Sure. Despite, even though I'd end up going to Orlando for a month, but <laughs> apart from that, you know, I got. How old was your son when that happened? When I went to Orlando? Yeah. A week old. Oh, man, no way. Yeah. I didn't realize it was that close. I know. And realistically, you know, I I probably, if if I was to fight it or say that I didn't want to go to Orlando, I know I know the club would have stuck by me and said, yeah, it's fine. Sure. Like, you can stay at home, you know, because really I knew, I knew that my chances to even play in Orlando were slim to none. And obviously, sure enough, I went down and, you know, just trained and didn't get included in, you know, any of the game day squads. But my mindset still was that I'm going to be, you know, available for for the first team, you know, train as hard as I can, be available for, you know, take care of my body. And if they need me, like great but if not then at least i've you know tried hard to be there for those guys and that was the reason behind you know me kind of being okay with jumping on the flight and going to orlando because obviously my kid was only a week old and yeah i would have preferred to to stay at home with him and you know help dana out because those first three three to four months was was brutal yeah sure you know more brutal for her than than anyone so but I think my mindset was still, as a player, 
was you know the, I, f- I still felt like i had something to give and, yeah sure and i was like i don't want to well there's so much unknown and uncertainty on yeah. all that stuff yeah yeah and, and oh yeah and, that, and another thing is we didn't know if after orlando if there was going to be a season right so I, I think in my head as well i was like okay well you know this is just a you know three to four weeks down in orlando and this could be the end of it so i don't want to nec- necessarily like give pass, up that yeah chance. pass yeah. up the opportunity of yeah. actually going down there and you know playing or even just training because who knows what what's going to happen afterwards um but yeah i knew, I knew it started the 2020 season that, that, that this was it for me unless the miracle was gonna the miracle was gonna happen but like i said earlier like that's fine life moves on kind of constantly looking to bring in new players each off season you know always got to strengthen strengthen where you can and just where the league is at, you know, the league's becoming a selling league, you know, yeah. constantly adding new teams into the league, you know, the infrastructure is growing, every, the academies are required at every yeah. MLS club and, you know, youth development is a big, a big plus these days. So, I don't know, just, I think also with the, you know, retirement of Nick Romando, you know, knowing that, um, you know, Kyle was probably going to retire at the end of the year as well. You know, I think in my head I was like, okay, those those were the only two guys that were here before I got here. Right. So I, I think I was like, okay, that kind of makes it a little easier for me to, you know, make that uh, commitment to retiring because, you know, at least now everyone that's on the team, you know, Justin Glad came technically like a month <laughs> a month right. or after, whatever after me. He joined. Uh, He's still it, up. Yeah, he joined us in Tucson, but Pop. he. Yeah, he's he's still a pup now. It's, <laughs> I know it's crazy. It's, it is crazy, but I think that kind of made it a little bit easier knowing that, okay, this is kind of like the end of like the the, the old RSL chapter, you know, the new I and mean, it's a new year. Yeah, you know, we're gonna this year we're gonna have a new club captain, you know, we're really trying to, you know, create a pipeline for, you know, the next Justin Glad, the next you know, yeah, Harry, sure, Harry, Corey Baird and. So there's a lot of eyes on on the academy, and that wasn't there, you know, sure. five six years ago, yeah. and so that that for me made it a little bit easier. But then also encouraging, knowing that, you know, I've got all these facilities here, everything under one roof. You know, this is the perfect place for me to to grow um, in a different office, but also like something that I'm passionate about as well, yeah. and something that I'm because I played for the club. I care about their their success. Sure. I think sometimes as a player, when you're not playing for the team, you want the team to do well, but not too well without you. <laughs> and I think now it's easier knowing that now I'm on the other side. It's like, okay, now I just want the team to always do well yeah. at all times because that reflects on on myself and my co-workers up in the front office based on how we recruited, you know, the personnel we brought in whether it's you know coaching hires or you know player hirings and that all reflects on you so now it's like a and that, that's why I'm passionate about being in in the front office is because we can we can affect change we can yeah. do our homework we can spend x amount of time looking at film meeting players and just doing background checks on whether this player is you know a good fit for for RSL and what RSL represents what how we play right you know what what the fans want to see you know so yeah I'm, I'm super excited about about my role um 
I'm actually really happy that we have Kurt Schmidt as my kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, my boss. He's the technical director. I, I fall right underneath him. And, you know, I love, I love Tony and Elliot, but Tony and Elliot only know the RSL way. Yeah, sure. I think with Kurt coming in, with him being at, you know, th- three different clubs, he know not only does he know the league, but yep. he knows, you know, ways to do it right, ways to do it sure. wrong, you know, yeah. just being at three different clubs. I think that's a a great opportunity for me as well to, to really grow and, you know. Yeah, sure. And and I'm going to, you know, pick Elliot's brain over over the next few years and he's going to be fed up with me, I know. And, <laughs> you know, and Tony's only been up there a year, but Tony's, you know, doing a great yeah, job. Yeah, Tony's amazing. Yeah, he's doing a great job up, upstairs. So I just feel, feel like there's a, there's a good balance right now up with Tony and Elliot. Like, they're kind of RSL through and through. Yeah. And then having Kurt, who's the new guy, but not new to the... Right. No, he's new, been around the league yeah. in the sport forever. Yeah, he's, he's got a wealth of um He's been experience. in some big clubs and had different roles. Yeah, good clientele. Yeah. So I think for me that's like a good, a good, uh, a good balance, and you know, because when I first came aboard, you know, Kurt wasn't there, right. but it was we knew it was happening, yeah. And so I was delighted that we've we've got someone of of that kind of you know experience. So now I've got all the, in my opinion, all the tools to to grow and to be as best as I can in in the, my front office career. Is it um, is it going to be kind of a because obviously the you know the homegrown rules seem to be kind of changing as the league grows the mm-hmm. everything from the salary cap to the roster rules around those young kids um you know there's a lot of rumors out there that we've seen reported about you know MLS next whatever that's going to look like so we don't know you know with the USL affiliation and that kind of thing so i guess and i get into these discussions with fans on twitter that you know they look at like Sebastian Soto like oh man we really let that one go but I mean I was around Weibel at that time he's obviously 16 years old he's scoring a ton of goals in the development academy mm-hmm. but it's either give him a $150,000 MLS deal or give him a Monarchs deal he's got family and agents in his head telling him he's the he's the next great U.S. number nine you know yeah and some some kids just want to test themselves in Europe too so I don't look at that as a loss you know it's like um you know, Brooks Lennon went off to Liverpool from our academy, played at the U23s, had, you know, mitigated success, I guess. I don't know how you want to look at it. And then came back. And, and that's going to happen when you have an academy like ours that's as big as ours that has all these kids. A lot of these guys are going to pan out. Some aren't. But I guess the hardest thing, because people always want to talk about the guys that get away, but it's like, would you have given, and you alluded to it earlier, you know, a lot of those guys, no matter how good they are at a certain level, even at a USL level, you don't know how they're gonna yep. how they're gonna play when they're, you know, competing against men every day in practice and then in games and in, in MLS. So yeah, and that's that's kind of like the <clears throat> the task that we, you know, we have at hand and what we've got to try and do the best of is find that right blend of, you know, moving the academy kids up up and down up and down whether it's with the first team or this or the monarchs right. you know because the beauty right now i think with the monarchs is that you know these academy kids can play in a monarch game okay. and it doesn't make them ineligible for right. university or yep. whatever but on the flip side you don't want to just put the entire 
academy kids playing in Monarch Games because where the USL is at right now, some teams are just fielding, you know, a, a U18s academy team, whereas other teams have, you know, experienced players, pros, yeah. like even players as old as me in there yeah. on certain teams. And it's like, it's not going to benefit an academy team that are just getting beat up every week by, you know, by veteran players mm-hmm. um, who are physically a lot stronger, but also, you know, just a better level of understanding of the game and the, the experience. Um, so, yeah, right now he's, he's firing in that right blend. I think the fact that we won the championship, that kind of helps us, you know, really m- move on and and kind of turn the, the Monarchs into our you know, like U23 team. Sure, right? sure. Give them give these guys, you know, a, a, a longer opportunity window to really, yeah. you know, find themselves. Because as I mentioned before, not everyone's ready at 18. You know, I technically, I went to university, so I didn't sign professional till I was, you know, 21, 22. Right, right. And then even still then, I, I still spent three years, you know, in those lower leagues before I came to, came to the MLS, which isn't to say that, I wasn't ready. I I could have been ready straight away from university. Yeah. That just opportunity wasn't available for me because I went to a Division Two yeah, college, so I had to, yeah. you know, I had to work my way up. The I think that's the other thing a lot of people, a lot of fans don't realize is so much of it's about fit. Mm-hmm. You know, finding the right coach, yeah, the right fit, situation. Yeah, yeah, timing. I mean, yeah. Under Jeff Kazar, you know, he he loved me. You know, played me regularly, and obviously when Mike Pecky took over the team. You know, he still I feel like valued me as as a player, but as soon as I got that injury, it was kind of I just was pushed to the yeah. side, and you know, and yeah, you're totally right. Certain players will play under certain coaches, and certain players players won't. Right. You know, and you see this at the highest level. Mourinho goes from you know one Premiership club to the next, <laughs> and there's always one surprise player who was doing great the season before, right. and then all of a sudden now he's like getting no love whatsoever yeah and that's just that's just part of the game you know every every coach has they have the power to you know pick their 11 whether they're getting you know pressure from upstairs on because that's another thing as well that we haven't really talked about is in today's world you know how much how much uh emphasis or you know, pressure are you getting from the higher ups? Sure. From yeah, the every owners, club's different. From, yeah, yeah, owners. Yeah. Like, how much control? What percentage control does you know, sporting directors, uh, general managers, like, mm. how do they influence? You know, who who gets to play and not? Sure. Because you know, some coaches want full control. They want to be the head coach and the GM, and then most clubs are like, no, like it's very collaborative. Having a GM yeah. and the head yeah. coach, you got just got to get along. But you know, not everyone. No one always going to you know agree on every every signing or opinions are always going to be out there so that's also another a tricky part and that's already what i've seen the same players that you you like then you can you know show them to you know a third fourth fifth person then they say oh yeah i like this 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 and then they point out something they don't like then when you go back and look at it again then what they pointed out is now glaring <laughs> at you yeah. you just oh, like yeah i see that now so and i imagine you guys are trying to figure that out now right because yeah. you know freddie's had one full year elliot and tony have had one full year new new assistant staff right yep. um although nacho has experience with the club but it's his first time with the first team uh, yeah pablo now matt taylor now 
Um, and then, uh, you know, Kurt and you are new on mm-hmm. that side. So uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be fun yeah. 2021 to kind of figure out that dynamic, right? Yeah, it's, just, it's a totally kind of fresh start for everyone. Yeah. Uh, clean slate. And and that's the thing. You, you've all got to... Uh, you've all got to be bought in and that's for me and my role right now is that's what we got to we've all got to be on the same page before yeah. we can even consider making an offer to a new sure. a new player because yeah. it just it just won't work if if there's if there's one coach or if there's one person like upstairs who's just like mm, too many red flags about this player or like he doesn't see what you know so and that that can be the complicated thing, um, you know, just kept trying to get everyone, get everyone on board, right? Yeah. Because then if things don't work out, you know, people can always go back and say, oh well, you know, I, I said that, yeah, you know, I didn't like this, blah blah blah. So well, it's funny because I I always go back to I remember talking to you know the early days of RSL and Jason and Garth would really fight a lot about strategies lineups for games for certain periods of the season it's such a long season yep and you know jason is an obsessive guy and he's like i'm trying to figure out what's best for the team tuesday morning at 9 a.m you know and he's worried about every session garth's thinking six months down the road oh yeah 12 months 18 months he's thinking about the next three transfer windows yeah yeah so and everybody that's in that group of eight or ten uh that kind of have those opinions of reviewing the game of looking ahead managing the group mm-hmm. everybody's got a, a completely different perspective yeah definitely and, and it's your perspective can change when you know when you know more about a, a situation or right. a, a certain player's you know current situation or his price tag mm-hmm. his you know living situation what, what whatever so as best we can we try to throw everything out the window and when we're looking at you know potential players it's like just as best we can just scout them on the quality yeah and then if we can all you know grade them to a certain level then you got to, then you factor in the yeah. okay the deals of how much can we get him for how much is the transfer fee going to cost the salary you know all the baggage that comes with that yeah but i think when you and that's the for me is the fun side of things. What I enjoy, you know, I love, I I enjoy the the haggle of, you know, the haggle of a deal like a bargain player yeah. versus a okay this guy's like super expensive, but you know the upside is sure. super super high. But and yeah, that's all stuff that I'm gonna be, you know, learning over the next next few years. But yeah. something that I'm excited about like the, you know, with even just the college draft that we did a month ago. Right. You know, when I was just looking. And that's kind of a bit hectic because you don't really, you don't know too much about. Well, I didn't know too much about these. these well, college, college, college is hard to follow, yeah. and especially in a COVID year where you hard can't travel. Follow. I'd yeah. only been up there for maybe yeah. you know a matter of weeks. Yeah. And then not only that, you you only get given the like official list of players that are available right. like the start of the week on like a Monday. Oh yeah. And then so you're cramming. You have a draft on Thursday. Yeah, like, yeah. all right, you know, and you can use the, you know, they have some college experts out there that make like a mock draft list yeah. right but i mean then you're like well no we gotta we gotta draft players that fit our team whether it's the first team or second team so yeah. you just spend you know 72 hours trying to burn through all these players like looking at who's who's good like what positions we still need for the you know first team second team and 
you know, chatting with Freddie and Lavi, like, okay, what do you like? What do you not like? Yeah. You know, that stuff. And obviously that's, that's a, you know, collegiate level. Also, you know, USL, USL, I feel like uh, gets overlooked massively. Yeah. And, you know, we do have a small front office, so there's only so much that we can yeah. do right now. But I think moving forward, hopefully when new ownership gets uh, resolved, you know, hopefully we we can strengthen, you know, not just soccer operations department, but all all departments, sure. so that, um, not so that people aren't getting burnt out, but then also we can just really raise the quality of, of our of our work and making sure we, you know, turn over, turn over every rock. Have you let your head go forward to what it would be like May first? teams back at Rio Tinto Stadium and and you're you're watching from above and not uh, <laughs> not down on the pitch. Uh to be honest I'm I'm not worried about that part anymore. I mean I think I'll be You've kind of been through it. Yeah, I think with with the injuries it's not yeah. like it's not like I've it's not like I've been like um playing consistently non-stop for you know and yeah. then all of a sudden it's a complete it's not hole. a shock to the system. No, yeah, yeah, that that's not a shock for me, you know, it's uh, there'll definitely always be a part of me the way I'm always like, oh, I wish I'm still out there or, yeah. you know, of course. I would have, I would have done this. It's and a competitor. I in yeah. yeah. I mean, and that's, and that's fine. And that's the reason why I wanted to, you know, stay involved in, in the sport and in this club is because, you know, I'm super passionate about it. This is what I've been doing my whole life. It's all I know. I can't imagine my life right. without it. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to being, upstairs in the you know in in the technical staff box you know alongside the my other front office um crew that yeah. that'll be um you know kind of like a an accomplishment for me yeah um rather than having to watch from the players lounge with you know the players that didn't make the yeah sure the game day squad you know that's always feels like a kick in the teeth when you when you have to watch from up, up there so uh, I'm looking forward to to seeing some football again. It feels like forever yeah, sure. since where the season finished. Um, but yeah, no, I'll I'll be fine. Um, <clears throat> I think it'd be more difficult for someone like Cal Cal Beckham, yeah. who you know yeah. he's played for flipping twenty years, and then <laughs> you know this is this is the first preseason that he's yeah. you know not been to, and then uh, and then obviously the season's not far around the corner, so I'll have to. Reach out to him, check in on him, make sure he's doing okay have when you, uh, that comes around. Have you bought the uh, MLS Top Shot of your uh, of your famous uh, goalpost incident yet? No. Do you know what this whole Top Shot thing is? No. We'll get into it another time, but that leads me into uh, <laughs> it's these things that are really popular in the NBA right now, where you can basically it's sort of like cryptocurrency, except you can buy a moment. Okay. So it's like you own a <laughs> video. That anybody can go watch any time, but you own like this series of a dunk or a three point or a significant right. moment. So it's come up in the last couple of days. Like, okay, what are the great MLS moments? And a lot of ML RSL fans were talking about like you know that <laughs> that kind of blooper of you uh, yep. banging the head off the. Although I don't, did your head really hit the the post there? No, in my shoulder. I was gonna say yeah. I remember being in the stadium that day. It was awesome. It was like yeah. you know, viral immediately. Yeah, but that just leads me like, what are some of your favorite memories? Have you had a chance to reminisce yet, or does that come with with the season and being in the stadium and kind of watching? Favorite moments is every time I scored. Yeah, you know, every time I 
played a, a influential part in creating a goal or you know stopping the. You were part of some great goal. goal celebrations too. With yeah, that was Kyle and Plata. Yeah, and, that was the thing as well. You know, I the best feeling for me, along with just winning the game, is scoring. You know, the the adrenaline rush that just goes through my body when the ball mm-hmm. hits the back of the net. I kind of I have this. I always try and be. I always try and tell myself like, all right, if I score today, like, just be like cool as you can, <laughs> cool as you can, like, you know, like, like it's no big deal. And then sure enough, as soon as it hits the back of the net, my heartbeat starts going like crazy, and I have this desire to just sprint to, <laughs> towards like a corner flag or whatever. And um, I had a good friendship with with Platter, and and you know we hung out a lot um, outside of outside of football as well. And he's just he was always just a you know very lively, sure. love to dance and all that stuff. And you know on like a Thursday or Friday, he he'd always get excited about. You know, scoring at the weekend, and he starts doing his dances yeah, in the yeah. locker room, and I'd always, you know, fail but challenge him at a dance, <laughs> a dance uh, contest and whatnot. So any, yeah, any of those goals, any of those celebrations were the like an out of body experience for you? Oh yeah, majority, yeah, majority of them. of them. A lot of times <laughs> I'll, I'll like do my celebration, think it's done, and then plot to like come and grab me and be like, hey, let's let's do this dance. <laughs> And I'm like, I'm like, I've already done my my little celebration, but I'm like, okay, let's do it. <laughs> you still stay in touch with Plata? I haven't, I haven't been in touch, uh, to be honest, in a while. Every once in a while, I see something on social. With, yeah, with and that, and that's another thing, though, is I actually got rid of my social media maybe, I want to say, two and a half years ago. Yeah, and that was because just because I get easily distracted. Yeah. And when I was doing my masters thing, I was like. <laughs> I was like, here's the home stretch now. I really got to, yeah. you know, get over this finish line. And, you know, assignments would be due on like a Thursday and a Sunday. And then I'll go into my office and try and do this, try and do my work. And, and then, you know, your phone will get a notification. And then, yeah, so yeah. eventually I just said, all right, I got to, I got to just deactivate. Yeah. So initially <laughs> I deactivated it all thinking like, okay, I can download it, whatever. And then I was like, I was like, I don't miss. Yeah. There's certain things you miss on social media, but I was like, I don't miss constantly just naturally picking up my phone you know every time you're done with training you just went instagram twitter you yeah, know it, yeah, it's yeah. like it, and i was like okay i was like yeah so that was i think that was the best thing that i did just stepping away from social media and just focusing on my you know just putting the time into my my education that was that was good for me and then also with all those all those gifts that come back every year yeah, every yeah. jumping into the goalposts exactly. I was like oh, I don't need to see them anymore <laughs> <laughs> well dude uh, really appreciate you taking the time to kind of hang out with us today can't wait to have you back in uh, you know maybe we'll do a mid-season check-in or something talk about the team and yep, and uh, as you in the department have kind of evolved in a Hopefully the world's opening up. We can all get vaccinated and start traveling again and uh, yeah, it would be nice. have fans in the building and all that <laughs> kind of fun stuff. But uh, really, uh, really happy for you. I'm glad uh, you're still part of the club, and I'm glad I'm back in Utah and we'll get to hang out a little bit. So give my best to to Dana and uh, Snicker, and I look forward to meeting your son at, at some point when uh, things get back to normal. Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I enjoyed Enjoyed catching up, chatting with you. Um, we'll have to get out on a golf course yeah, well, let's when it do warms it. up. Yeah, the weather's hopefully going to turn around here pretty quick. Yeah, now, now, now I'm done playing. I need a new hobby. Hey, there so. you go. Well, I'm, yeah. your, I'm your guy. We'll, <laughs> we'll do a little Utah golf tour. Yeah. All right. That's uh, Luke Mulholland, club scout for Real Salt Lake, hanging out with us here on Bleeding Claret and Cobalt.
All right, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to connect with us, please do on social media at Claret Cobalt on Twitter at Claret Cobalt on Instagram. We're always up for your thoughts, a little banter, corrections and omissions, your guest suggestions, your favorite RSL memories or whatever. Uh, we do also have the opportunity for you to reach out to us through the message button at anchor.fm slash claret and cobalt or via email rsltray at gmail.com. This show is produced independently by Trey Fitzgerald and Mountain Air Media, recorded at Mountain Air Studios in Draper, Utah. The views expressed here on this show are our own and do not necessarily reflect the opinions or positions of Real Salt Lake. Please download, rate, share, subscribe, and provide those comments. Thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you very soon.